What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor of Dragzine, Brian Wagner. And on the other side of the screen this week, we got Ricky Jones. Ricky, what's going on? What's up, guys? How's it going? Doing good, man. Doing good. Just uh, moving right along here, trying to kick this racing season off a little bit more here in Ohio. Tracks are starting to open up a whole lot more because uh, we're out of freeze mode. But uh, yeah, traveling and going to some races and just uh, doing some race car stuff. How about you guys over there at RJ? Man, we're staying staying busy. We are slammed, probably busier than we've ever been. So we're very fortunate. Yeah, busy's good. And it, it seems like, in, you know, I, this wasn't on the question list, but I did just think of this. Now you mentioned it there, you know, we were talking about this in the pre-interview COVID, the the, the COVID issues, the COVID delays, the COVID part shortages. How are you guys doing with all that? Cause I've heard rumblings and rumors about uh, some pipe being hard to get hold of. And that's kind of important for you guys for what you do. It is. It is. Yeah. There has been tubing shortages and uh, massive price increases on steel and, and the market's been pretty crazy. Uh, you know, going into this, but uh, we try to plan ahead. So we've, uh, you know, placed some big orders and our tubing rack is full. Plus we've got some extra sitting on the floor uh, that we've kind of just held on to uh, as we're, you know, cause like you said, it's almost like a, a baker running out of flour. <laughs> you just, you can't, uh, you can't do anything without tubing being a chassis shop. So uh, now we've got a good uh, stock for us to be able to build things with. And, uh, but it, it has been difficult and we've had to plan and adjust and invest in some extra inventory. Oh no, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. It's like how uh, airlines buy fuel, they hedge it and they buy it in advance, you know, whether it's going to be uh, you know, they think there might be increases or not. And it, it's better to be prepared than unprepared and totally burnt. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for us, I mean, most of the products that we make, at least for the Quartermax brand, um, it's all made in house, you know, so as far as lead times and shortages, uh, it's kind of nice when you're your own manufacturer and, uh, you know, you've got your own workforce and as long as we keep the material and we keep our guys working, um, you know, so far knock on wood, we've been pretty good with our, with our line of Quartermax stuff, uh, vendor items. It's been kind of tough to get, um, you know, and we deal with those and try to get those parts as quick as we can for our customers and, uh, but everybody's kind of in the same boat when it comes to some of those items. Yeah, it's it's really kind of crazy right now. You're seeing short like it seems like daily on Facebook. I have I see people on my feed asking for per you know buy you know shops asking to buy spare parts off of individual racers to finish builds. And I'm like, man, that's that's when you know things are getting kind of serious when you know shops are struggling to get the basic necessities. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you said, uh, uh, you know, if you got a project right now, all the projects we have going, uh, the best thing you can do is try to plan ahead, um, try to purchase early and try to have give yourself as much time as you can to get the parts you need for your project. And uh, for those who are in emergency situations, um, you know, give us a call and we'll try to do the best we can to get you parts as fast as possible. So and even then, too, um, you know, there's shipping delays a lot of times. Uh, you know, I think the whole world is experiencing that, you know, um, some regions worse than others, but uh, knock on wood, we haven't had too many complaints and uh, everything's been pretty smooth. Well, to kind of dig into what we want to talk about here, you know, one of the things I remember is, you know, you spent some time right behind the wheel racing some cars, you know, 
what did you really enjoy about racing and what was your favorite class to race? I probably have actually like two favorites. Um, and I can explain why. Um, so my nitrous pro mod car, I loved it just basically for the pure speed, um, that it had, uh, they're just so fast. It's like riding a bull, you know, um, just trying to hang on. Everything's happening so fast. The acceleration, um, also trying to manage all the power. Um, the pro mods a lot, like it's very much thrilling, you know, to drive. Uh, and then pro stock for me, it was definitely a little bit slower car. Um, but it was very precise and you're very much more engaged as a driver having to make all those uh, shift points, uh, drive with a clutch still. So you've still got to, um, which even back when I raced pro mod, it was still clutch. Um, but, uh, that was almost 10 years ago, but, uh, both of them are just interesting, um, have their own challenges, but the nitrous car with the flames and stuff coming out at night was really fun. Um, and, uh, pro stock still, uh, for me personally, as a kid, kind of growing up around pro stock and, um, just the, the sound of 10,500 RPM in your ear as you're banging gears is, is really cool. It's hard. It's tough to replace that, but they're both a lot of fun. I think you touched on the essence of both classes right there. The differences where one is like trying to ride a bull and then the other one is like trying to be a precision sniper. They're like yeah. the, the only similarities between those two cars is they have big tires and doors. That's yeah. where it ends. And that's why I think it makes it interesting, especially, you know, you have that perspective of driving both because it's, it's very much, you know, a pro mod, you have to practically expect it's going to do weird stuff. In a pro yeah. stock car, like you're not expecting that and it almost gets you off guard. Right. Yeah. Driving a pro mod, you're right. You're just uh, trying to hang on and be prepared for whatever's going to happen because you've got to respond quick, you know. So if it goes out there and overpowers and, and uh, you know, you've got to be ready to step off of it, you know. And, uh, but if it's making a great run, it's still just, man, it's fast, you know, and I was 10 years ago, a quarter mile, I went over 240 and just the difference from going pro stock, which is maybe 210 uh, to 240. It doesn't sound like a lot. It's only 30 mile per hour difference, but man, the car, just the G forces, uh, down track just never quits pulling. And, um, even then trying to stop the car. Uh, and the shutdown and all that stuff, everything's just different. You know, everything's happening faster. Um, the pro mod is just so, it's just so fun. Just so thrilling to the speed, you know. Um, it, it's always interesting talking to different drivers about what they would drive, what they wouldn't drive. And there's a lot of dry racers, even nitro guys that are like, I I'm good. I don't want to touch those pro mods. Those things are crazy. And that's coming from a guy or a gal that drives a nitro vehicle. That that says a lot about what those cars are <laughs> capable of. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's uh, one of the things that makes ProMod so interesting is all the different power combinations, too, you can run. Um, and every one of them takes a different setup and different tuning uh, methods and, you know, different approach when you go to build a car. Um, you know, there's just so many... Uh, I just love learning about it. They're so, so interesting. 
That, that kind of leads me into my next question is that, you know, you and your dad both raced and how has that experience helped you guys when it comes to building and tuning cars? Because it, I would personally think that, that gives you just like that extra seventh sense about what a car needs, what it likes and whatnot, especially driving, especially knowing the differences. So talk about that a little bit, how it's helped you guys. Yeah, exactly. I think just our experience, you know, so many customers when they come here, uh, some have experience, some don't. Um, so for the ones who have a lot of experience that know exactly what they want, uh, we can work with them and even share our experiences and try to make everything one step better, you know what I mean, than what, they, what they've ever had. Um, and then for those who haven't really, they're just getting started or they're new to a certain class, um, you know, we've got a lot of experience we can draw on and provide information and kind of help them along the way, get started, um, make good decisions throughout the build. Uh, so ultimately, when you're all done with your project and your car and you go out and you're trying to run, that, that you've got the right equipment, um, that it's set up properly and that you're going to enjoy it and have fun because, man, racing to me, um, yeah, everybody wants to be competitive. They want to win. Um, that's that's pure, you know, but uh, but still having a car that goes up and down the track and have everything be safe. I mean, that's that's our priority as a builder. Um, and when you get all done, we want to see you enjoy it. You know, it's a big investment to go racing and we just want you to enjoy it and have fun. And I think if you do all that and, uh, you know, the wins will come, you know, and the success will come. Well, it probably makes sense too for, you know, for someone that's buying a car to go with someone that has some of that experience, just for the simple fact that when they get the vehicle, it's going to be already in the ballpark on where it needs to be for their combo and setup and weight balance. Cause you, you'll see this at the track sometimes. And I've seen a lot where people have a brand new car, they're trying to shake down and they're in the weeds and you could tell they're not having fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that we try to provide with our customers through that experience is that, hey, we've we've tried a lot of things. We kind of know what works, what doesn't work. Um, we're always evolving also. But um, that's one of the things when you leave here that it should be in the ballpark. It should go down the track. Um, everything we you know, we we try to finish a car as if it was our own. Um, you know, so we'll go through it and test everything and set it up and so when we put it in your hands that um basically we've prepared it for ourselves and then we we give it to you um that makes sense so well this is something interesting i'm i'm thinking of too as we're talking about this is i've talked to other chassis builders and you see a lot of these cars and i hate to use the phrase cookie cutter but i mean basically you know, they, they are, when you're churning something out there, they're, they're going to be a lot of the same for the most part. You know, you don't, you find what works and then you don't, you know, make mass changes to it. Is there something that you, do you guys have like house cars that you've put out there that are like experimental only where you tell the person, Hey, we're going to try something. Let us know how this works. Or do you guys just kind of stick with what you know? How, how do you approach bringing chassis to another level? Yeah, <clears throat> throughout racing ourselves for many years, um, those house cars that you speak of, that was that was our cars that we built and raced through, you know, Top Sportsman, Pro Stock, Pro Mod, all the, you know, different different methods where we would do a lot of testing and uh, R&D ourselves in-house on our own car and go and test it and prove it 
before we'd, we'd um, put it off on the customer. So it's been, um, you know, 35 years of development, you know, and we're still going um, through dad starting out with his, uh, you know, high school Camaro that he modified uh, into all the stuff that we do today. It's always been, you know, we try it, try to uh, refine it and make it the best we can for our customers. And then having the opportunity to do, to work with teams like uh, Elite Performance and Eric Enders. And, and um, there's a lot of things that we would try on her, her car first before we would, uh, you know, put it into the next, next car. So there's um, a lot of cool things I think we have as a chassis shop that maybe some others don't have those opportunities. And, um, you know, from building and testing and tuning, um, it's really cool to just, I'm more of a you know, kind of a tech and data guy. So I, I really like to build a, you know, design a part, build it, and then take it to the racetrack and then see what it does, you know, and see the data that, uh, Hey, this worked. It didn't. Why? Maybe we need to go back, make some changes. Um, you know, so there's, there's always something to learn. And that's my favorite part. No, that, that totally makes sense because I, I was watching some dirt track racing on Flow the other night and they talked about, you know, like the rocket chassis, the driver, you know, their house car. And it got me thinking, I'm like, you know, how many of these chassis shops have, you know, what you would consider like a house car where it's like something that, you know, like what you guys used to do where you race it, where maybe you don't race anymore. Do you have someone that you basically tell them, hey, the, we're going to give you some experimental stuff. Let's see if it works kind of deal. And it, it's interesting just to see how, you know, that thought process on how chassis shops, you know, do more than just, you know, people look at chassis, like, oh, it's just a bunch of bars. No, there's, there's a lot of thought yeah. that goes into where those bars are placed and why they're placed there. Yes, absolutely. And each car we do is a little bit different, honestly, um, based on, you know, wheelbase or what the rules are or you know, what the power um, plant would be. Uh, what's, what, tire you're using is a small tire is a big tire i mean they're all they're all unique and um you know we just try to refine each application starting on the chassis jig you know all the way through the whole whole process so is that something that excites you when someone brings you like hey i want to build this really one-off strange car for x class this is what i want to do is that the kind of stuff that gets your creative juices for you like oh this is going to be fun yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's cool to sit down and think about, okay, um, what's the best thing you can do to build, you know? Um, and not just what's the easiest to build, but what's, what's the best way to build it, you know? And that's a challenge, um, you know, and a lot of the classes too, where there's, uh, you know, weight rules and all that stuff, you have to be conscious throughout the build. Uh, so when you're all done, the thing's not real heavy either. Um, but it still has to be strong and durable and, and do its job and perform and be consistent, handle everything. So there's a lot of kind of thought and engineering that goes into it. Um, safety wise also, there's always, uh, there's been some new improvements on like the seat pans uh, underneath the drivers uh, that's going to be you know, coming out for this year. Um, so there's just always something new that's always changing. Um you're right. Stand back in the staging lanes, you look at it and say, oh, hey, it looks the same as a ProMod did 10 years ago. It's the same body. But, you know, the stuff underneath uh, definitely evolves, you know. 
Well, it's like with our plot project blown Z 28 that skinny kid built that radial tire car and talking with him about the thought process on what they did. And a lot of people don't realize that chassis builders just aren't slapping pipe together and putting stuff together. You guys have to look at like what, like the example there with the zoomies. He's like, I had to plan ahead for these zoomies where I wanted to put them, where the firewall was going to be. And then you, like you said, you have to wait because you can't make it, you know, it can't be too heavy. Well, you also can't make it too light because there's safety regulations on how much weight you can put in a car, you know, where are you going to put the weight in the car? I mean, there's, there's so much more to it. And it's what always makes me cringe when people says, well, I got a buddy that's going to put a, you know, a chassis or a cage together. I'm like, Ooh, how's that really going to end, man? How's that really, really going to end? Yeah, it's, it's a lot to uh, consider when you're thinking about the whole build. Um, And for home builders too, I mean, not to discourage that at all, um, you know, but uh, there's a lot to consider. And when you're going to do your, your build, it's great to kind of have a vision from the start um, of what you picture the car to be when it's all done. Because uh, I know some builds where you kind of start out and you're kind of unsure of like what you want, you're just going to start on this or that. Um, and then it kind of morphs over time. Well, then you, it's expensive to go back and redo, you know? Um, so, and specifically like on some of the items, like let's say our adjustable threaded adjustable strut mount kit that we sell. Um, yeah. You can, you can buy just the simple bracket, you know, fixed strut mounts um, and just mount your struts like that. And it's less money obviously, but you know, then when you, when you're all said and done, you don't have that adjustability, you know? Um, whereas if you were to have that threaded mount, you get all done with the car and you can make your adjustments and, you know, it just kind of opens, you know, so many of these cars, you don't know what you're going to do with it. Sometimes like you may be able to fit into a certain class this year and then another class next year, or you might run a small tire on it this year and then change to a big tire next year, depending on what you want to do. So when you're building the car, it's nice to kind of plan ahead and say, okay, Hey, can I, what can I do to build this thing to where, you know, it'll work in some different applications, you know? Um, but also be specific enough to be the best it can be for what, what your current goal is, you know? So there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things to consider. Some, some good words of advice there. And before we move into our next section, we got to thank our first sponsor of this episode, Performance Distributors. The company allows you to feel the difference, not just ignite a spark. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, Performance Distributors ignition systems are designed and manufactured under the most stringent of guidelines. In fact, the owner, Steve Davis, told us their systems are designed as if they're running them in their own vehicles. Well, because they are. Their line of DUI distributors are the first and one of the best HEI distributors on the market. Their machine calibrated timing curves provide instant throttle response and eliminate engine damaging detonation. For those of you with late model vehicles, performance distributor Sultan of Spark Ignition Coils are based on the DUI technology so they too can accommodate wider plug gaps while you're firing more voltage. So check out performancedistributors.com. And as always, we got to make sure we hit our sponsors up there important and whatnot. And kind of shifting gears here a little bit, pun slightly intended, you know, you guys have built 
a ton of championship winning cars. You know, you use them in your ads and it's not bragging when you can do it. That's the way I look at it. If you've earned it, you can put it out there. Out of the championships you guys have won and the cars you have built, you know, what are some of the ones that you're most proud of? And, you know, what makes you so proud about, you know, having your build be out there winning a championship? Man, that's a great question. I'd say probably the most uh, special one to me personally is um, 2014 would be our first championship with Erica and NHRA Pro Stock. As dad and I were both uh, crew chiefs on that thing, we tuned, uh, you know, tune the engine, tune the car, tune, you know, everything as a package. Um, very special to get that first championship. Um not just as the car builder, but the crew chief and everything to watch it basically going from the rack to building the car, to putting it together, to taking it out and tuning the whole thing. And then uh, for her to, to wheel it to our championship. And then it came down to the very last round, the very last race, um, all the pressure and excitement um, with your first, with your first championship it, to me, is just a very special uh, there's obviously been a lot of great ones um, as far as the RJ race car brands concerned. Uh, as a kid, I remember, I think probably one of our first championships would have been with uh, Scotty Cannon back in the 90s, IHRA Pro Mod. Uh, going back through some of the years, definitely a lot of Mountain Motor Pro Stock champions, um, top sportsmen. Um, probably another big uh, milestone probably would have been Warren Johnson uh, building uh, when dad built cars for uh, Warren Johnson in the late nineties, uh, winning the first NHRA pro stock championship uh, with, with Warren was pretty cool. Then obviously Greg Anderson, some of those guys, uh, you know, all the way up to as recent as, uh, you know, the, the back-to-back -back, uh, really, you know, let's see back-to-back -back champions in pro stock and pro mod right now, uh, currently reigning uh, with Erica and Stevie both in our cars, uh, which is, which is pretty awesome because you, you do see a lot of chassis shops that kind of specialize in just one category, you know, you might, might see a lot of brand X and pro stock or brand X and just, you know, or brand Y and pro mod, but you really don't see, you know, champions from that builder in multiple categories, you know? So for us to be the first chassis shop to really have both pro stock and pro mod, champions in the same year i think kind of speaks to how versatile we are as a shop and as a builder so speaking, it's pretty cool speaking of versatile you guys built the shadow correct the shadow 2.0 correct the great yeah yes yeah you, so you're the only chassis builder that has built a car that has won on radials multiple times and then won the u.s nationals and pro mod trim as well Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> With Stevie fast car. Yeah. Um, you're right. That's that car, man. It seems like it wins almost every race it goes to. It's incredible, <laughs> you know, but uh, it's that, awesome. That, that poor car, if it could tell stories, it's been smashed up, blown up. I think it's been on fire. I mean, yes. <laughs> the, that, that should be like a, if you guys had an RJ race car, like museum hall of fame, just put that one in there and pull the wrap off to show off the body, like the battle scars. Cause I mean, Stevie and Phil they're they are not kind to equipment. They, they put it through its paces. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for them, it's definitely a, you know, a tool to win races with and uh, you're right. It's um, it's gone through some ups and downs. It's definitely got some battle scars, um, but it's a, it's a pretty awesome piece to be able to, like you said, look at it and say, okay, Hey, that car won us nationals and it's won how many duck races it's won, you know, it's, and it still keeps going, you know? Yeah. It's the other thing that was crazy was at Woostock, you know, he won Woostock in radio versus the world. And actually his qualifying times and the times he was running on radials was quicker than some of the pro mods. It was there to me. That was like, that was kind of wild too. I'm like, man, he could throw, you know, if you had enough time and, you know, the swap setups, they could throw the, big tires on it and go out and possibly win pro mod this weekend too yeah how cool would that be that'd be awesome uh, yeah, it'd be amazing but i think that also kind of a lot of people don't realize how different the setups are between the two and what they would have to change to make that happen oh yeah yeah drastic drastically different and um you know hats off to to, to stevie and phil for being able to uh to tune that thing and make it, make it run as well as they do. Um, it's one thing to have uh, great products, but it's another thing to have, uh, you know, customers that make it shine too. So they've, they've done an excellent job. That, that makes me think of another question. Maybe you could shed some light on, you know, we, there, you see a lot of eighth mile racing organizations, PDRA, Northeastern pro mods, Midwest, yeah you know, NMCA and stuff like that. And then NHRA's quarter mile. And you see a lot of people go, oh, well, why don't you just go NHRA quarter mile racing? It's not just a simple fact of putting a splash of gas in it and going. There's a lot of changes you have to make to a pro mod to make it go from eighth mile trim to quarter mile trim, right? Let alone the safety requirements, which might be different. Yeah, the safety requirements uh, to go quarter mile for NHRA. um, You know, they've got their own set of, safety rules that's got to be, um, you know, added to, um, like a, the carbon fiber interior tunnel, fireproof front ends, um, you know, just some other like RF uh, safety shutoff devices, things like that. that are all required for the, the quarter mile safety, which is all, I think, good ideas, especially when you're going that fast. Um, you know, eighth mile, I think, um, is more popular. It's a little more cost effective. Um, but definitely to go from eighth to quarter, you've got gear ratio changes. You've got, you know, all kinds of things that would have to, to, to change to basically optimize the whole thing as a package for that amount of feet, you know, so optimize and to keep it alive because that that last 600 feet, you know, or so anybody will tell you that (laughs) behind the wheel of any vehicle going from eighth mile to quarter mile, it gets weird because you're you're stretching a car's legs a little bit farther and you're, you're at term like eighth mile, you're going 200. And then if you think about it, some of these pro mods are picking up 50 to 60 mile an hour on the back half, which is just a lot. <laughs> uh, un- unless you've done it, you do not understand the difference in what that's like and what happens. Yeah. And the driver's seat, it is incredible. Like I said, even just 30 mile per hour different was was huge going from 210 to 240 um some of these cars going over 260 it's 
it's there's a lot going on and everything from even trying to get the thing stopped you know it takes different parachutes you know there's just there's just a whole, whole lot of things to consider when you make that transition yeah that that's the you know when we did the tech inspection show and, and and talking to chassis builders about safety and whatnot and like you know we, we talked about shoot mounting and stuff like that and people don't realize you know where you mount shoots and how you mount stuff makes a huge difference in trying to stop any of these vehicles because they've got to get out of that that they got to get into the clean air to make them blossom when you're going that fast time is of the essence oh yeah yeah absolutely you can't wait an extra second for the chute to deploy and open you know you've got to get it as efficient as possible and if you get only one chute that opens um you know it's it's late the other the second one's late you know it can cause an issue um although it's you know Ideally, you'd like to, you know, like Warren Johnson used to always get in trouble for not pulling his parachutes uh, with an HRA. When, when he started going over 200, there'd be runs where he just still wouldn't pull the parachutes. And I think at the time he was testing carbon fiber brakes and all that stuff. And he told him, hey, look, um, last time I checked, you know, brakes is my primary stopping device parachutes are just secondary he said i need to he said he would purposely go test the car and and during test sessions he would learn to stop the car with the brakes with no shoots on a quarter mile run um obviously that's going 200 not 260 um but still um and you don't want to go practice that by any by any means but um you know definitely um you know, having parachutes at work, have them that they open, having everything done properly um, from packing them to mounting them to choosing the right chute for the car. Um, you know, all that stuff is critical. So you don't put yourself in a, in a situation to where, OK, hey, I can't get this thing stopped, you know. So, yeah, that I think is there's a lot of drivers out there that don't prepare for the what if scenarios when bad stuff happens. Because yeah. they, they don't know how to deal with a hung throttle, shoots not opening, you know, what is what happens. As much as you don't want to think about it, you at least have to have something in your mind. And that way, when something does happen, at least you like, you're going to do something that might or might not be the best, but just do something. Right. right. It's, it's almost like uh, having a fire emergency plan for your home. Like, hey, how to get out of your home and where you're going to meet as a family you know, if something happens, what you're going to take with you, stuff like that, right? Um, you kind of want to have that emergency plan of action for yourself as a driver inside your, your race car. Um, so when I drove, you're exactly right. I'd spent a lot of time on the couch thinking about running different scenarios through my head. Okay. Hey, the car just shook the tires. Hey, I need to step off or, Hey, uh, it's getting loose down track. What's my first instinct, you know? Uh, lift and hit the chutes as quick as possible to try to straighten yourself out. Uh, hey, the chutes, uh, like you said, the throttle hung open. What do you do? Um, you reach up and kill, you know, hit the kill switch, you know, pull the chutes. Um, you, you just run yourself through all those different scenarios that you can and just practice it over and over in your head if you can and prepare for it, you know. Um, so, like you said, you hopefully never have to deal with that situation. But at least if you're better to be prepared as much as possible. So speaking of preparing, 
you know, pro stock cars, they're technological wonders. They are just these precision machines that are amazing, but they're very sensitive to changes, you know, like any precision weapon would be. How do you approach tuning a pro stock car? Because it's like, it's so, it, to me, it's in the same realm as F1 is you can't go through and make wholesale changes with this. You you have to cheat, treat one of these cars with kid gloves, right? Yeah, it's definitely, um, you approach it with that same mindset that uh, they are very sensitive. Um, and the reason why is, you know, the, uh, the engines themselves are very sensitive to load. Um, there's, they're 500 cubic inches, um, but they don't really have a lot of torque compared to a pro mod. Uh, so in order to get these things to accelerate, uh, you've really got to throw a lot of gear ratio at them. And, um, yeah, we've got a decent sized tire, but, um, it's not a small tire, but, you know, still, I feel like we're always pushing the envelope of what we can do to accelerate it. Um, I think, I think I have the pro stock 60 foot record currently at like 952 or something like that at an NH national event uh, with Jag's car. And, you know, to get it to do that, it's very explosive. I mean, pro mods go in fifties and, and, you know, as, as low as down in the eights, but for a, for a naturally aspirated car to go 950, um, that's moving. It's, it's moving when you really stop and think about it. Um, so, and there's a lot that goes into that from the shocks, uh, Formula One style shocks, literally, as you mentioned, Formula One, um, gear ratios, um, you know, we're still running clutches in those cars. So the clutch package is very sensitive. The suspension is very sensitive. Everything is sensitive. Um, even one set of tires to another exact same part number tire, but you just you may have six sets of tires that you keep for each car. And each set has its own little bit of characteristic that's a little different. Um, you know, and you change those or run those at certain times for different track temperatures or situations. So, I mean, it's very, very much like you said, it's setting up, uh, a sniper rifle essentially to try to hit a perfect shot every time. And that's the challenge, you know, you're calculating essentially for the wind and, you know, the grain of the bullets and all the stuff that you would have if you were a sniper rifle, um, sniper shooter that, um, you, you've got to plan for all those things for pro stock car. Um, and it's all about the small things. It's all about the details um, from the engine tune up all the way through the whole thing, driving uh, the crew, preparing it identically uh, each time. Uh, so as a tuner, like if you, if you got a clutch guy that let's say he cuts the clutch disc at a different speed, this lap versus, you know, the last lap, or if the clutch disc is not exactly flat, it'll throw your whole package off. I mean, it's, it's all, you know, very, um, you watch those teams and, in you know, from a spectator point of view, you might sit in the stands and look at them and say, Hey, they all run within a few hundreds of each other. It all, they all look pretty straight and smooth. Um, it's not an accident. really, I think, yeah, it's not an accident, but, and I think as you've seen is the whole class has gotten so much better too. Um, there's been a, you know, a lot of the racers out there, they all have kind of the same technology. Now everybody's kind of caught up with each other and you're basically seeing a really, really great group of racers that are all competing at a high level. Um, and it's, it's, it's incredible to watch what they do 
and be a part of it. And I think for those who are more of the, uh, I, I guess you would say the astute or educated spectator that really like understands, like you said, these cars, how sensitive and like the load sensitivity of these engines is just so, it's so hard to quantify unless you really are messing with it and like how they have like that, that certain level that they have to be at. And then you have to make sure the clutch matches that and everything else matches. Because if one of those, like, it, I guess another way to look at it is like, if you're on a construction project and you're trying to put a bridge together in a couple like sections and you know, the more you're off on one end, the first to get close together, everything's not going to join together. And you have to have it set up where when you put all these things together, they have to be precisely in line to get that, you know, perfect run. Yeah. To get the perfect run. Yeah. Cause otherwise, <clears throat> I mean, don't get me wrong. It'll still go on the track, but you'll come back disappointed because you know, you're a hundredth and half or, something like that slow because you missed it. You missed it and you missed it by a hundredth. That's, that's the margin error that those cars have, you know? So yeah. it's. Oh, it, it, it's amazing. And let alone what the, you know, then you mix in the, the human part of it, what a driver has to do inside the car and they have to be precise with what they do and, you know, cutting the light and doing the burnout. Right. I mean, it's, I, I've really like started to pay more and more attention to that and like how the pro stock stuff works, especially since the NHRA made all the changes to, you know, try to bring more health to the class and it makes sense of what they've done. And it just, from a technology standpoint, you know, outside of comp eliminator, I think these cars are some of the most like sensitive vehicles there are. Yeah, definitely. And I think a small block would be even more sensitive, you know, because it's even less torque. So it's harder to get the car moving. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, they're definitely sensitive. Like if you don't have enough gear ratio or let's say you, you leave a hundred RPM too low on the launch or you miss it by a gram of clutch, it's, you know, you just come back and you feel like, uh, you know, you just missed it, you know, and it's so easy to miss it. Um, you've got the variable of the tracks changing, which, you know, NHRA does a, a great job at, at prepping the tracks, but they're still, you know, every venue you go to, the track's a little different just because of the surface itself, you know, the, the track surface, the concrete's different. Um, the way that the, uh, you know, running behind the top fuel cars, if you're running behind top fuel, the track is different than running behind ProMod versus running behind uh, Sportsman class. Uh, so even though the track temp might be the same and still the same, you know, NHRA crew prepping it, just your run order, uh, will change the setup on the car. Um, and also within the pro stock session, if you're the first or second car out on the pro stock session, the track is won't hold as much power as it will if you're like the fifth pair back or the eighth pair back. Um, so, and you've got to be ready for that when you leave, when you leave the pit area, you've got to know what class you're running behind, what pair are you, um, because these cars are so much on the edge um, you've got to be, you've got to be set up for it. So, and it takes a lot of planning and a lot of accuracy, um, and execution from the whole team. You know, that, that makes me think of another thing, you know, being prepared, you know, the run order and stuff like that at Woostock. I snapped a couple of pictures of this, like Ricky Smith was at the ready line in his pro mod. And in, like, I saw him get, I'm thinking, all right, he's going to get ready. You're going to be running a second. Tricky Ricky pulls out the laptop. 
after, you know, going up and looking at the track and comes back and he's sitting there banging on the keys trying to make like last second adjustments while the dude in the blower car is getting ready and going through. So the Ricky's just squint looking at it, making adjustments and then goes out, you know, sets low ET. So it, it's really, it comes down to like those, those moments of preparation in a door car, whether it is a pro mod or a pro stalker, that's going to separate whether that car makes a successful run or it kicks the tires or does something weird. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it comes down to when you're tuning, what's the track at this moment right now when you get ready to pull up there? Um, there's a lot of things you can do back at the pit area. I think a lot of racers get caught up at what the car did on their last run. You know, they come back and a lot of us have have that fault. You know, we'll download the run. We'll spend all of our energy studying what's on our screen and making changes for what's on our screen. And a lot of guys forget about, okay, going back up there, what's the track going to be like, you know, so you've got to always account and adjust for that track. And then that gets into the whole topic of reading the track, you know, being able to actually go up there and look at it and say, okay. And quantify that into something that you can tune on the car, you know, um, so it might be the same track temp, but it might be a little bit thicker or it might have a little bit more glue or less glue. Um, I might be getting bald now by, you know, might be a one or two foot bald spot where last time it was covered up, um, you know, and that's just little details that can, can, you know, make a good racer, a great racer when it comes to tuning. Typically when I'm helping out with a car, like, you know, you see a lot of guys that just look at, you know, like the, you know, the few feet of the starting line, I go out and I'll walk out past 60 feet if I have the ability to just to see what's going on a little bit further out, because depending yeah. on the car and the application, there's different ways you're bringing the power in. So that's going to, you know, you got to kind of almost play the game. Well, we can get the car out of the bald spot here, but then, you know, at so many feet, it's going to be a problem here. And it, it, it becomes a game. And that's why it's yes. funny when the announcers are like, oh, well, they're putting them really, you know, out of the typical groove. Well, probably because they saw something at the 60 foot mark and they knew, hey, you know, we're going to ha we have to get through this transition. And sometimes yeah. you just got to go up there and be like, well, do I want to be shot or stabbed today? Getting stabbed doesn't sound nearly as bad. So we're just going to put it right here and let <laughs> yeah. it roll. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh, gut instinct um, decisions that come with experience. Um, a lot of it's just trial and error and learning. And that's honestly one of the, the coolest things to me about racing is whether it's the racetrack, whether it's the race car itself, or there's just always something to learn. And there's always a way to do better than what you did last time. I love different people's like track reading techniques because you get the guys that'll go up and see what it's pulling, how many feet, you know, mm -hmm. I'm more of a, I use my foot kind of guy to see, you know, what it's doing. Is it sticky? Is it gooey? Mm -hmm. You get the guys that like, they pet the track. I don't know what they're trying to figure out, you know, by petting and touching the track, but yeah, you know, we've all yeah. got different things that we're looking for and how you got to read the track and it all, again, it, yeah, it, it's drag racing is the ultimate, execution of taking a simple process and making it as complex as possible right we're all guilty of that yeah, yeah. like it when it comes down to it you're trying to go fast in a straight line but yep. we put so many additional variables into it that it's like <laughs> man we're making this hard on ourselves yeah we make it we turn it into a science project don't we 
Yeah, ex- yeah, science project. That's exactly what when people ask me about drag racing, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's kind of a science project on what you're trying to, you know, the physics yep. behind it, the the meteorological end of it, you know, what this engine's yep. doing. I mean, there's, I, I wish, it, you know, sometimes you almost wish it was like a junior dragster where it's, you know, you just kind of get it in a spot and let it roll. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why so many guys get addicted to the racing is because it's always an ongoing, you know, there's always something to learn. It's always a project, right? There's always a, whether it's something on the build, whether it's something learning how to run the car, um, there's always something that makes it interesting, right? Whereas if it was easy and, and simple, it's almost like a kid as a, you know, you play a game once you, you know, win the last level and you beat the game, um, I'm tired of playing that game. You know, you, you, you know, you want to play something different, you know? Um, whereas with racing, I feel like, if you are willing to push yourself and put in the effort and pay attention to some of the details, I think you'll always find that there's something to learn and something to do better. Um, And I think to me, that's been like the most satisfying um, or fun part of it, you know, is, is learning about all that stuff. Well, Ricky, before we pull this thing into high gear, we got to thank our other episode sponsor pro charger. For 25 years, ProCharger has been the industry leader and aftermarket supercharger manufacturer by designing, engineering, and building the most powerful, reliable, and advanced centrifugal superchargers on the market. No matter if you are looking for a 3,500 horsepower record-setting Pro Mod or a DIY system for your street car, truck, or even motorcycle, ProCharger has the perfect supercharging system for you. For more information, on the amazing ways you can bolt 40, 50, 60, or even 100% more horsepower to your ride, make sure you visit ProCharger.com for more details. Fun stuff. Awesome. Yeah, got, you know, I, um, and that, that's another interesting thing with ProCharger, and you look at the different power adders and everything else out there. When, when you start playing with power adders, that completely changes the game on how they act because, you know, a centrifugal blower like a pro charger acts differently than a screw blower, than a nitrous car, than a turbo car. And, you know, looking at that, you tune a lot of different cars in various classes, you know, which is your favorite to tune and why do you like to tune it? Jeez. Oh, um, currently I've been enjoying some no prep um, tuning has been fun. Because uh, it's just the challenge of, like you said, the the racetrack. Everything we just talked about the racetrack that that way that I already know is out the window. So for me, it's like st- a fresh start of, okay, how do you, you get a pro mod down uh, a street or a back road, <laughs> literally, or a uh, or a, even a racetrack that's that's got no no uh, prep on it. So you've got all the same challenges as a pro mod and pro stock is the things I've already been through. Um, except you now you're just dealing with no grip and, uh, which makes all the racetrack challenges exponentially harder to figure out. And, uh, so, um, you know, that's, that's currently probably my favorite. Makes sense. And it, it, it's interesting to see like, how no prep has progressed even in my time in the industry really paying attention to it or before it was like it was the ultimate form of outlaw racing if you weren't no prep racing people were looking at you like you were crazy 
And it was guys that just were street racers wanting to do it on a track, yada, yada, yada. And now it's the level where they're bringing someone like you in to help them figure out how to get down a track. And I think that speaks volumes to how difficult and how competitive it's really become. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so many guys that have put a lot of effort into it and they've got sometimes the same amount or more money wrapped into their car. They're going to take down a back road is what they do in a, a car that's going to win the U S nationals this year. It's uh, there's a lot of effort and time being spent to optimize that form of racing and it's really progressed quickly. So I think there's just a lot of advance advancements that's going to be made on the no prep scene. Um, and personally, I've been helping uh, Robin Roberts for the last couple of years. Good dude. Um, and uh, yeah, super, super nice guys. Um, and to wrap up the end of last year, I think we won the last uh, four out of five races we went to at the end of last year, just some, you know, kind of all across the, the country, which was so interesting because it's the same car, you know, but you're going to different venues. Um and it, it's just night and day difference, the, uh, the setup that we have to run uh, from, from track to track. So, and that keeps you on your toes. If you're going to go to any no prep race to like be boots on the ground, I highly suggest that you go to Outlaw Armageddon. That race is just, that, that's on my bucket list of like, when I say you got to go to big events, I say it all the time on the show, Outlaw Armageddon, the U.S. Nationals, a world cup, any ducks race, anything that Tyler puts on, like th there's just, there's certain events that you have to go to, to check out and out warm again is like, it's a straight throwback to like, you know, the, I'm not going to say the heyday, but back when you, you would see tracks packed to the max because people love it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's just awesome. And, and no prep fans are, they are the most passionate drag racing fans out there. They will cheer and scream for their dude. Um, they either love or hate the TV. They call them the TV guys. And when the TV guys race in a non-TV guy, it's just, it, it's a completely like, it, it's the kind of stuff I wish that there was that much like passion in NHRA racing right now. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I think some of that has to go back to, like, personalities, right? Is, you know, as a fan, you know, I think anybody who watches a sport, you're not necessarily cheering, you know, like, if you're watching baseball, you're not cheering for the bat to hit the ball. You're cheering for the, the player to hit the ball, right? You've got your favorite player, um, you know, and I think for NHRA, a lot of it's been promoting the cars, not so much the individuals and telling the backstories and getting for people to get to know people's stories. And I think that's something that you guys at Dragzine do a good job of, you know, telling some of these stories and a lot of the other, you know, there's so many fascinating types of people and backgrounds and stories of, you know, all the stuff that's going on at the track. The difference is that there's, you know, there's not uh, 10 players on the field to tell a story about there's literally 800 stories to tell about in a weekend um you know so it's sometimes more difficult for to get to know everybody um but i feel like uh, when when you do then you start to get 
a little bit of, Hey, I'm cheering for this guy or I'm cheering for that guy or, you know, this, this person, uh, you know, I think that's something that, you know, the NHRA might be missing some. And I know that they're probably aware of it, trying to make adjustments. But One of the coolest things, you know, with flow racing, stepping in more into drag racing that I tell people about is if you watch, they're big, like huge in the dirt track world. And they would follow like a few drivers for Indiana Sprint Car Week. And I told them when in the drag racing world, you have a pit full of personalities. You need to go through and follow some of these guys for a weekend. And they did it one of Ducks races. They followed Roger Holder. And, you know, they just, you got to see what it's like to race from the racer's point of view. And they talked to the crew and what was going on. And, you know, you got a little bit of his story and what was up. And I think that doing that across the board is going to help drag racing so much because there's a lot of characters out there. And yeah. Yeah. Every, like, it doesn't matter if it's your local bracket racing track. There are characters out there that, you know, people have cool stories that, you know, it, it draws in the hardcore fan as well as the, uh, you know, I'll call it the casual fan that, you know, might not know an alternator from a turbocharger, but, hey, this person's got a cool story. Let's hear what they have to say. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the biggest challenge, you know, is, is for those stories to get out there, you know. Um, for our sport, you know. Now, you know, I always like to start kind of digging around a little bit more and asking fun questions of my guests. And, yeah, you know, which do you enjoy more? Have you enjoyed more racing, tuning, or building? Mm. Oh, man, I don't know. Because to me, I look at it all as like a package. Like, I can't do one without the other almost, you know. Um, gosh, I don't know. I really loved all aspects of it, not to give you a, a boring answer, but, uh, I don't know. I feel like just wh whatever moment I'm in, I'm always giving it a thousand percent my best. Um, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Um, and I love the challenge within all three. So it's, it's, um, you know, building the cars, it, it, you know, we've already talked about some of that, you know, tuning the cars. We've talked about some of the, the track, um, you know, conditions that you have to figure out, um, you know, and then, and then driving them, you know, it takes that um, you know, discipline too to be stay focused and get the reaction time and handle the cars. Um, and, and then there's no better feeling, honestly, than, being in the seat and seeing the wind light come on. Um, like when I won my race, uh, I've only won one Wally as a driver. And that was the world finals uh, in Pomona and pro stock. And that was my first Wally and to experience. I mean, that day probably ranks number one, all, all time of me being at the racetrack. Um, just my dad being there, um, I don't know. I just had all the nerves, uh, all the preparation, everything I had dreamed of since I was a kid um, and had that opportunity right in front of you. And um, man, to just go out and execute. It was so much. It was so fun. Um, in the moment, I think we're all so focused on doing your job and 
and trying to be perfect and not make any mistakes. And then just seeing that last win light come on in the final round just makes it like, I don't know, I got hit with all the emotion and teared up a lot. And uh, it's just real special as being the last race of the year. And, and going into next season, I knew I didn't have any funding. So it'd probably be my last, you know, could be one of my last races as a driver. And that was honestly the last time I've been in, in a car um, was, was back then. So it's a pretty cool way to kind of end my driving career for now anyway. <laughs> so. All right. That gives me another idea for a question. Okay. Totally off the cuff here. A lot of people don't realize this, but here on the Dragzine podcast, we have a magical checkbook with unlimited funds. And it's, it's like a, it's like, it's like a wish giving book. So I'm going to open up our magical checkbook and I'm going to present you with the question. If you were able to build tune and race any car, what would you build tune and rate? This is for you. This is a passion pet project, unlimited funds, unlimited labor. It's just like, here you go, build what you want. What are you going to build and race Ricky? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that dream, that dream build, that dream idea. You know, I, I'm always thinking of stupid stuff like this driving because I'm obsessed yeah. with cars. And it's like, I look at something like, man, that make you know, be a cool race car. And, you know, what would I build? You know, it's what's that fantasy build that you just you'd want to do? Well, I love 69 Camaros. I, you know, there's a lot of late model Camaros and, but to me, like, uh, if you've ever been to like a, a good guy's show and you walk around and there's like a million classic cars and you can see every car there is, um, for me, I just love 69 Camaros. So it'd be a 69 Camaro for sure. Um, honestly, it's probably my dad's car, you know, probably my dad's car, orange crush. Um, just like that, just something that we can go have fun with the family. Um, something that's just, that you just have fun with, you know, I would have, I would have that. And then, you know, like to me, I have that desire to like race with my family and my kids, you know, junior dragster, get them involved, uh, which my daughter, Ava, she's three and my son, Ryan, he's one and a half. So you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting them involved here in the next few years um, and just basically having fun with my my family racing. That would be that'd be probably the ultimate thing. And then professionally, um, you know, I've had a lot of success in pro mod or excuse me, pro stock. You know, dad and I as crew chiefs with Erica, we've won four championships in pro stock. I feel like if I had unlimited funding and all that, that I would build a pro mod car and I'd probably go out there and just try to compete with, um, you know, pro mod. Cause I feel like there's so much to learn about those and, um, unlimited power and all that. Ask me which power adder, I guess it depends on what day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what are the rules favoring this week? Yeah. Um, I don't really know. I, I kind of turbos look a little complicated to me. Um, I had a nitrous car once already, so I think I'd be willing to try something new. So I think I'd probably be into uh, some sort of a blower or um, maybe even pro charger. 
So, you know, to me, the the most gnarly like the the for me pro mod is all about cars that are like audaciously rowdy. So it would have to be a screw blower for me because screw blowers are just so loud and so angry. That to me, that's where the move would be. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. Like, uh, you know, we built a car for Jason Scruggs a few years ago and, and hanging out with him, watching those things run three forties with a screw. Um, you know, they are very powerful. Um, and I like that idea too, that, Hey, you've got unlimited power almost. And, uh, you could smoke the tires anytime you want. <laughs> so as a chassis guy, I think I would like that. That way I could basically work on the car a thousand percent to try to get as much traction out of it as I could and to run as much power as I could. It's funny. Every other power adder is trying to find a way to punch the car in the mouth and get it off the line. Yeah. Screw blowers are like, we got to calm this thing down because it's like, it's like a puppy on caffeine. It's just wanting to jump out of its skin and you've got to like try to knock just enough out of it where it's like not going to like totally be fat and die, but enough where you're not going to overpower the track. And yeah. There's just, there's something cool about with, you know, you know, a screw blown car at the line, you know, giving it a couple of whaps to get it to that optimal temperature. You know, they're not doing that to sound cool, although it does. They're trying to get it to that, you know, that operating temperature they want it at. It's just, to me, those are like the, uh, just that, that angry bad guy. They're, they're the John Wick of power adders to me. <laughs> John yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, they're definitely tough. Um, it's, man, I, I don't know. You're going to be thinking think about would, this the rest of the day, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I may have to go tell the guys to get started on something when I figure it out. I don't <laughs> like, know, but I'll, got, I'll let you try to fish the sponsorship for me. What do you think? Hey, you know what? I think we could sell the hell out of it. You know, <laughs> the, the, the pitch is you walk into the place wherever you're trying to get sponsorship from and you say, listen, I've got a really bad idea. That's going to be a lot of fun and cost some money. Let's do it. And then Let's that way <laughs> You figure out which place is really going to be on board and be all about it. That's fine. That, maybe that's why I, I don't have any big, huge corporate sponsors. But, you know, hey, I'm still having fun. Right? <laughs> right. Man, as long as you're having fun, that's that's what every day should be about. So, Well, speaking of fun, Ricky, you've had a lot of fun on the show this week, and we're coming to a close. And I like to give my guests their opportunity to pull out the old school John Force and thank all of their sponsors and everybody else. So, uh I'll turn the floor over to you so you can thank who you need to thank and tell people where they can learn about more what you got going on. Okay, sure. Yeah, really. I just, uh, thank you for having me on. Um, uh, it's a pleasure as always. And, um, yeah, really just, uh, say thank you to all of the staff here and customers that we have at RJ race cars and Quartermax, uh, chassis and race components. Um, so we manufacture our whole line of chassis parts in house, um, all made in USA right out here. Uh, by our guys. Uh, you can find all that at quartermax.com. And we're also a distributor for over a hundred other top brands. Uh, we offer price match guarantee, uh, free shipping over 99. Um, so pretty much anything you guys need to build or maintain a car, we should be able to help you with. Um, we've tried to pride ourselves on the best customer service possible, um, the best quality that we can uh, for the racers and um yeah. So then also 
be probably need to thank my parents, uh, my my dad Rick, who started the company, uh, my mom Bonnie, who's always been with us um, by his side and works here, uh, and my wife Sarah, who's um, been here for five years now, and and uh, you know so her and I are kind of the next generation trying to help the company grow and and uh, really just say thank you to all the racers and everybody for their time. We've, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I got to thank our sponsors, of course, AFR Performance Distributors and Pro Charger. Once again, Ricky, thank you so much for coming on the show and I look forward to seeing you at the track this year. Awesome. Thanks, man.